the University of Cambridge, welcome to Declarations, the human rights podcast run out of the Centre of Governance and Human Rights. This week, we're exploring the meaning of Christmas. Is the celebration of Christmas, like other religious holidays, a human right? Does this spirit of peace on earth and goodwill to men have a political message embedded with radical social and spiritual values? Or is it just a materialistic ritual like Black Friday, where we exchange gift cards and buy presents with its materialism poorly disguised with Christmas trees and carols? Ultimately, what we want to figure out today is, is Christmas a day when we don't do politics? Or is it perhaps one of the most political days of the year? I'm Max Curtis. I'm Matt Mamoudi. And I'm Scott Novak. This week, we don't have guests, uh, no mistletoe between us either, just microphones. Um, There's no real host, and this isn't an interview. Um, so first of all, what does Christmas mean to you guys? Ah, interesting question. So I think, uh, <laughs> so I think for me personally, uh, it's a little bit un- uh, unconventional. Um, I grew up in an atheist family, and so for me, Christmas has no religious connotations whatsoever beyond what I've later on learned through going to school. Uh, it was a shock, I suppose, to find out that Christmas was celebrating the birth of Jesus. I was like, what? <laughs> I, I thought it was just this old man who came and left presents because, you know, <laughs> goodwill and, and all that. Um, is that normal in Denmark? Or is it just to, your family? No, that's just my... So my family... So I should stress again that my family are... are, are they came to Denmark as refugees, right? So mm. uh, for them, you know, celebrating Christmas was a wholly new thing. Um, my father has lived in Denmark for for the better part of his life. Um, however, it's been a, a purely Danish cultural tradition for us as opposed to something religious or something with, with, with uh, religious connotations. What about you guys? For me, it was a very religious tradition. I grew up Catholic. Most of my family is Catholic. And, you know, you'd go to church and then we'd always go to my great aunt's house where all all of my family would be there and have a big Christmas meal. And we'd have certain traditions like the breaking of bread, which is a Polish tradition where you break bread and give it to your family members. And with every piece of bread that you break, it's you wish them a blessing Mm -hmm. for the new year. Um, which is always, I always enjoy that. However, I am no longer religious myself. Um, and neither are other members of my family anymore, but we, we had a bit of a falling out with the Catholic church, um, after their crusade against same sex marriage. And m- many of my family members are part of the LGBT community, myself included. So that's how that kind of happened. But anyway, we still celebrate the traditions and it's very much. If there's one holiday that's like about being with your family and being together, it's the Christmas season. So everyone's always home for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the reason why we want to talk about this today is because obviously when that happens, it can be a bit fraught with very many political discussions, uh, to say the least. Um, But I think the point of it is that this has a lot of political implications. Christmas as a holiday that we've celebrated over the centuries has a political history. Mm -hmm. Um, And nowadays, it's often been conceptualized as a very um, humanitarian, humanistic thing. It's something that I would say is embedded with a lot of these values that different societies have Mm -hmm. over time. I think we can agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Yeah, and, and especially the humanitarian aspect, I think, and that's pretty universal across different cultures. Um, just just to sort of give you guys an idea of what the prime symbol of, of Christmas was to me and my family, it was the idea of, of Santa Claus. We call him Baba Noel, 
which sounds very French, but it isn't, it's Farsi. Um, it means uh, Father Christmas, right? This guy, St. Nicholas, ages ago, who just sort of went around giving gifts to kids, right, in, in poor villages. And, and I think we see a lot of that reflected today. Apparently, there's a man who settled in Norway originally from, from Syria. I believe he goes back to Syria just to give kids uh, toys, right, mm. that he's collected in Norway. And that gives the sense of, of goodwill, of humanitarianism that's so universal and, and, and prevalent in the idea of Christmas. I mean, the idea of Santa Claus, for instance, as this humanitarian figure is... It's been a really weird evolution. The image of Santa Claus that we know today is obviously very famously from Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not how it has always been. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know how it is in Denmark, but just the the commercials on TV, the Christmas specials, you know, some people definitely do lose themselves in not so much the gift giving, but I guess the gift buying and the gift receiving. Yeah. And also in America, I think there's this, um, obviously the huge thing about the war on Christmas. I mean, I don't know when that started, but that was like since Fox news <laughs> began. Yeah. This is a nonpartisan uh, podcast. Yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> no, on that note, I think, I, so to expand the idea of the war on Christmas, I think, uh, the idea that Christmas is somehow like, they think that Christmas has somehow been prohibited from the public realm and uh, that this is due to the uh, political correctness that we've now endorsed into our lives. The very mm-hmm. thing, the very like, uh, the, the, the sort of the common enemy for the for the radical right, if you will, uh, political correctness. Um, and, and a recent, well, I don't even know if it's that recent, but a report by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission here in the UK um, stated that a lot of uh, people, a lot of workers in the UK feel as though that they cannot talk about Christmas um, at the workplace, that they cannot wish each other a Merry Christmas, that they cannot celebrate uh, at the workplace, even though it's perfectly within the right to do so. Like, there's nothing prohibiting them from expressing the cultural rights, uh, at least within Britain. And so, um, but the feeling is there, the feeling that we shouldn't be doing this. Um, Same thing in the United States, where there is no law, of course, it would be a violation of our constitution if there was, if there was a law that prohibited you from saying Merry Christmas to someone. However, it is the corporate policy of many companies to say, you know, happy holidays, season's to your greetings, guests, season's yeah, greetings yeah. as and that some people take real issue with yeah. in all these spaces, which are private spaces, and it's not like a publicly government top-down policy, but it's more like bottom-up from all these private companies rather where this is coming from it's problematic i suppose that the the, the way you, you phrase something like happy holidays inherently means all holidays and there is this perception that by celebrating all holidays i'm diminishing from your holidays right mm-hmm. which are which is christmas whilst for someone else it might be something else it might be hanukkah it might be Nauru's or eight or what have mm-hmm. you later on but it, the the endorsement of all cultural celebrations seems to for some people detract from the idea of christmas and thus feel for them as if it is diminishing their cultural right to express their their gratitude of christmas yeah yeah my holiday is for everyone so long as you celebrate it the way i think it should be celebrated right exactly which yeah. is problematic right but um there's a real tension i think between christmas as this humanitarian um, message of, you know, like goodwill to all men. Mm. It's for everyone. But at the same time, there's a tension between that 
and yet that it's for the people who already celebrated, if you see what I mean. Like Christmas is for someone and it serves, I think, some particular social and political functions. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get too academic, but I mean, just the the idea, for instance, um, that Christmas is a time for family. I was yeah. reading recently, like the spirit of Christmas, mm-hmm. which when you think about it, it's something everyone says, but no one really knows exactly what that means. Like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, it actually came from Dickens' A Christmas Carol. That was something that he very specifically wanted to advertise, this idea of his, uh, that Christmas has a spirit to it. Taking religious and secular ideas about celebration and putting them into humanitarianism. It was about commonality and kindness and generosity. And I think there's a sense in which this concept has been undermined um, by more modern ideas of Christmas because obviously we're not necessarily thinking of the poor and the unfortunate when we're buying hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars worth of gifts for ourselves or others. Yeah, but but even when we are buying gifts for, say, poor people or for those who are experiencing hardships elsewhere in the world through either donations or through you know various schemes that allow us to buy gifts and send them off, like we're still invariably doing it from the feeling that we get from doing so. And so mm-hmm. I'd argue like the idea of the spirit of giving and altruism is in itself a fiction. There's no such thing as I suppose Mossel Mouse would say as the free gift, as a total prestation. It just doesn't exist because you're always doing it uh, you know, with with the intention of fulfilling, at least you might not know so consciously, but at least you're fulfilling a deep need within yourself and you gain satisfaction from doing so. And if you're maximizing your own satisfaction, then you're also doing something selfish. Mm. So I think we are exploring like two slightly different tensions here, as you're calling them. And one is the tension between humanitarian giving back values and selfish consumerism. But then the other, which I think is a separate discussion, the other tension is the how we celebrate this publicly, how Chris, that Christmas or other holidays are celebrated publicly. And the relationship and between I, religion and politics and part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, yeah, I get, and I guess the third tension would be when you're at these family gatherings, do you just say like, oh, like good wishes for you in the new year? Or do you try to talk about things that are like substantive is it just all small talk or do you talk about like i know this is a big tension and i wasn't in the united states for thanksgiving but uh it was a tension around my family's table about the elections that just happened which are a a big deal and you know finding out who did you vote for um is will be a strong tension at my Christmas celebration. My family have no situational awareness at all. Like I'll be ill and they'll be like, so (laughs) how'd you like what happened with Trump? And I'll be like, this is not the time for me to talk (laughs) about Trump. But, but I suppose I might differ across families. If Christmas is not sacred, but it's Mm -hmm. at a nice time, as opposed to like, this is a sacred time. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, you know, politics permeates maybe throughout the conversation as it was around any other dinner, except Mm -hmm. it's a nicer dinner. But if, if Christmas is a sacred sort of, uh, tradition. Um, then for those family who celebrated that way, I suppose they wouldn't talk about politics around the dinner table. Yeah. One interesting thing that I was um, thinking about was the fact that uh, Christmas in America, for instance, it's actually, um, I think, the only religious federal holiday. So like, there's a difference between federal holidays and public holidays, where federal holidays, all federal employees get off, and it's officially recognized by the US federal government. Mm-hmm. And there aren't 
other holidays like that. Like Hanukkah is not a federal holiday. Christmas has this very particular political inflection. And it's also the most celebrated um, holiday in the United States. I think it's like 92% or whatever of Americans celebrate that. Sure. Um, which I think is very interesting. I don't know, though, regarding particularly the third tension that we're exploring about whether to talk about politics at these you know, family gatherings or whether we're too polite for politics, so to speak, or too sacred for politics. So my family, half of them are pretty left-wing, half of them are pretty right-wing. So there's some diversity. And it's the one we are always, especially after this election in the United States, we've been talking about how important it is to not just live in your own bubble and to actually meet people and talk with people from the other side of the spectrum. And I feel in some ways, if you can do it in the right way, in a respectful dialogue, since you have the family bond of like, you love each other no matter what, that gives you an empathy so where you can begin to then approach more controversial issues. And it's not a comfortable thing to do, but I've done it before at like past family gatherings. I've learned things, things that I wouldn't have learned other, without having those conversations and gotten into insight into how people think um, who hold different opinions from me. And I think that's very valuable, but that's also something that is very taboo in American culture in general at any holiday, let alone Christmas. Yeah, I have a political fixation on the idea of um, people who've done wrong against you or people who believe the wrong things. It should be possible to forgive those people without, you know, setting aside the things that they've done or the things that they believe. Um, I think that's in many ways for people on our side of the political spectrum, that's one of the hardest things for us to deal with at the moment. Um, and that's that's big in international relations as well. I mean, if you've got any sort of um, political movement that's done wrong I feel like I'm going to strain to really controversial territory here, but like, I don't know, even say in Ireland, like there is the IRA and that's been a horrible, horrible organization in many, many ways. But at this point, it's become this process of forgiveness, of accepting that horrible things have happened, but we have to sort of move on without saying that we have to sweep this under the rug. Right. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a political dimension to that. I think that that speaks to sort of also like the contemporary debate as to how we're going to engage with voters of Trump and voters of Brexit moving forwards, right? So there are a lot of people who would speak to the idea that uh, these people are racist, xenophobic, uneducated folks who are not going to change their mind. And so we better just like present an even stronger front, right? And then there are those who, um, the group that I, I feel I myself pertain to, which is saying that, look, I don't deny that there are racists and supremacists out there. And I don't deny that there are some pretty horrible factions of these people um, who we cannot and probably will not engage with ever because they just, they were this way before Trump, they were this way before Brexit. But there are also so many voters who voted for Trump um, not because they were racist, but in spite of the racist rhetoric, like Elizabeth Warren said, um, of Donald Trump. Um, and so I feel in, in those cases, we have to come to terms with the idea that, look, forgiveness in this case is understanding that voting for Trump was in some cases, a protest vote, not the most educated vote, though. And this is not mm -hmm. the best way of, of protesting at all. But if we can forgive that fact or not... Uh, Forgive might be the wrong word to use here, but I'm just playing into sort of the framework that you provide, Max, right. um, in order to be able to engage with them further. The 
difficulty with that, though, and I'm more much more along your side as well in terms of, you know, especially with Mike Pence, he's one of the most anti LGBT politicians in the United States and is now vice president. And I don't think I was reading a news report the other day and I don't think there's one member of Trump's cabinet so far who has not openly expressed anti-LGBT views. Mm-hmm. And so as an, L- an LGBT American, that is extremely concerning. I'll be facing family members who they may not be homophobic. And in fact, my family is extremely accepting. They're not homophobic people, but they were, some of them were willing to overlook mm. my rights and the rights of some of my other family members. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. So it's like, I I understand like the, we need to, and I like, I on a personal level, like have to negotiate that. And I'm not going to ever cut someone out of my life because they, of how they voted. Mm -hmm. I think it's important if anything, like you're saying to engage them more, but it's a challenge of how do I communicate that compassionately Mm -hmm. to those people where there is like, I feel a, a divide, a gap, even if they don't feel it, I do feel a gap now with people that I know voted for Trump. I think it's, it's a very difficult thing to come to terms with. Um, especially because as you say, like some people made a very, I suppose, utilitarian choice and throwing certain groups under the bus for the benefit of their own, like whatever their agenda was. Or at least what they thought was their own agenda. Because now, as we know, Trump's appointing all like millionaires and billionaires to his cabinet. But they thought differently. The people who voted for him. It's like a hierarchy of needs, I suppose, is how we should be looking at it. Um, More so than like uh, um, the direct agenda that Trump provided. It's an idea of, look, this is this is where we are in this sort of triangle. If you imagine Maslow's triangle of needs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are the needs that we have at the very basic level where we feel that these are not being fed to us. And the only thing we can do is try and screw up the system as much as possible to provide uh, sort of an arena where a different world can emerge for us, right? And that that's problematic for a variety of reasons, one of them being the people that you throw under the bus. Um, uh, so I think an interesting point that I, I, we all know Milo Yiannopoulos, who's a very contentious figure at the moment, but he's one of those people who wouldn't have trouble himself, even though he's a gay man, putting the LGBTQ uh, plus uh, community under the bus for the benefit of mm-hmm. Trump's agenda and for the benefit of a changed world in which political correctness does not take like precedent. Yeah. And for the, he's a Breitbart. He writes for Breitbart News. He's a conservative um, gay news media figure. Who's yeah, but he's certainly not like he's, he's certainly not very traditionally pro LGBT rights. I mean, he's argued oh. that like lesbians don't exist. Yeah, he, he's extremely he's articulated some extremely sexist and racist views. And he, as a matter of fact, actually, he went to Cambridge. Um, he yeah, wrote he for the Tab. And are you surprised yes. he wrote for the Tab? Tab is I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, we all know that the Tab is a tabloid. It's a it's a, da- it's a yeah. Daily Mail sort so of. So it fits. Brand. It fits with. 
And the, I was reading the tab actually had a feature of some of his, he wrote theater reviews when mm. he was here. His theater reviews were just so <laughs> petty and also like, also like sexist and just like, just really skate. Like he hate, he just wrote some scathing yeah. things. Just, I think just for the point, because he likes being hateful. I don't know. Maybe that's an oversimplification, but. Just to, just to build on that, because like, again, like he's such an interesting character to me by pure fascination of how much hatred he's filled with or whatever it is that drives him because like so so someone asked him um what his view was on on generally like uh, white supremacy i suppose and and he presented that the that the white straight man was uh more genius um more capable and that we should all strive to be the white straight man right and so when he was then asked are you are, are you then saying that as a gay man, you cannot be like what a straight man ever will be? And he said himself, I accept that I would be better as a straight if I were a straight man. And he said this and I and I sat there for a minute thinking and the interviewer asked him, are you self-loathing? And he said, no, but I accept that the straight white man is always better. But it makes sense in a... In a way, when you consider we all grow up in a like racist, homophobic, sexist environments to a certain extent. Sure. And so even if you're a part of those groups, mm-hmm. you internalize that discrimination, even if the discrimination is against your own identity. Right. And so that's where, you know, that I know tons of gay people who say homophobic things or used to say homophobic things without realizing it. And it's because we all grow up in this environment whether we like it or not it's so bad though because here's a man who has a platform oh it's terrible yes he has the possibility of actually influencing the opinions of the right such as creating more lgbt like oh it's okay to be gay and conservative or yeah he doesn't he doesn't he just perpetuates the existing narrative to steer us back um, towards Christmas, I think the point is Christmas is obviously one of the most political days of the year, if not the most political day of the year, aside from like election day, partially because um, it forces us out of our bubbles. Whether you're conservative or liberal or, you know, left wing or whatever, you are forced out of the sort of media and uh, social bubble that you are in. And you're forced to deal with family members often who whether in small ways or in massive ways, completely disagree with you. So, and I think that plays into what Matt was talking about earlier about Christmas as um, this time when people talk about political correctness. The idea that, say, like season's greetings or happy holidays is an infringement on your personal rights. Um, and I think that it's this conservative media environment that argues that on the one hand, there is a vision of what normal people look like whether racially or in terms of gender or in terms of sexuality or whatever. These um, people, these same people who have a very narrow message of what it means to be American or what it means to be part of the Western civilization or whatever, these people use things like Christmas as a sort of battering ram. There is a narrow vision of what normality is. And on the other hand, they're using this vision of humanitarianism to attack people who don't fit that definition of morality. Absolutely. And I think definitely in the context of of Denmark or where I'm from, it happens at the level of kindergarten where certain uh, foods are being, like certain foods are being promoted as what you should be consuming around Christmas Mm -hmm. of certain music, of certain psalms. Um, and these are being particularly advanced towards people of, uh, of another, like who come from a different uh, background who, whose parents might be 
immigrants or refugees um, from particularly the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, kids who, who would appear to have a Muslim background. Now, whether they do or not is, is irrelevant, but who would appear to do so are especially confronted with uh, the na narrative and the rhetoric of, of Christmas. And this is how you're supposed to celebrate it. And this is what you're supposed to eat. And if you're not, you're not integrated. And then we start the whole debate about like Christmas being equated to Danish values and, and what it means mm -hmm. to be Danish. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that assessment, Max. In terms of bringing this back to the idea of cultural rights slash human rights, it seems ironic in a sense that the people we've been talking about who assert that there's a war on Christmas, who feel that their cultural values that they feel they have a right to yeah. are under assault. Mm -hmm. They seem to selectively apply some of their arguments, I guess, in terms of like, yes, we have a right to do this. Don't let anyone stop it. And it's like, yeah, like you do have a right to free expression, to religion, but they seem to equate right with this is right. This, as in, this is the only correct way. Mm -hmm. Everyone should be doing it. And if they aren't, then that's somehow an assault on my individual rights. Like there's, that seems to be the underlying logic to some of the tensions that we've been discussing today. And I think Christmas has dominated American culture for many years. Now it's become, it has been, it has become more secular, largely because our population in the United States is increasingly becoming more secular. So the feeling that, oh, this feels less religious in some areas than it used to feel, it's true, that's accurate. Mm -hmm. So they see that as an assault on their rights, but that's really just a diminishment of privileges mm -hmm. that Christian groups in America have enjoyed. And I think that's just, you know, so it's not a diminishment of like rights. It's just a diminishment of privileges, which they shouldn't have necessarily had in the first place. Yeah. And there's the classic line. Um, I don't even know where it came from, but the idea that when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Exactly. And no, yeah, it, it, that's exactly what I'm speaking to right now. And I think maybe if we do broach politics with any of our family uh, on the lovely holiday seasons, and if there is talk of a, a war on Christmas, this could be one way to deconstruct it in a more, you know, obviously a more diplomatic language than I just used. But um, about how just like you want to have your right to celebrate Christmas, yeah. other people have there are other holidays out there and other people also have a right to express that. And don't get mad if Starbucks doesn't have like baby Jesus on his cups because it's a private corporation and they as a private corporation, they have a, a right to be inclusive and non-specific of what traditions they embrace. I think Christmas really presents an opportunity for us to embrace the pluralism that ex exists in society. Like right now, I'm, I'm a Persian Danish atheist guy sitting in a Christmas jumper talking about the politics of Christmas. Um, it's a spectacular Christmas it, jumper. It is quite way. spectacular. We went to mention this at the <laughs> beginning of the episode. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, sure. Point, continue. Um, yeah. And I have no ties to Christmas as a religious construct whatsoever, as mentioned earlier in this episode. But I think what's important is how people like I, but also people 
people who don't necessarily celebrate Christmas but celebrate other things can get around the spirit of celebrating, the spirit that comes uh, from within us when we are nearing our breaks and we all know that we're going home and we can all relate to that. And I so, so I think that's a, that's a beautiful foundation upon which to build pluralism and inclusion into our society. And, and if people feel as though Christmas is being appropriated to include more people than they would like, maybe they should start seeing it as this is like, This is an achievement of Christmas, that Christmas has been able to include the voices and, and the cultures of other people. I love that. That's so heartwarming <laughs> that, that this is what the Christmas values are. There's a deeply political message in that. Like Scott was saying, politics has kind of been evacuated from Christmas, which is bizarre historically. Like, I mean, historically, there have been bans on Christmas because of its religious or political messages um, by the Puritans in America. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in Boston, it wasn't common to celebrate Christmas until like the mid 1800s. Uh, French revolutionaries, they banned um, the Three Kings cake, which is like really popular in France, and they replaced it with a more secular thing because that was too dangerous for the revolution, uh, the Soviets, obviously. But it's um, this bizarre thing that we try and make Christmas seem like this apolitical thing. And I'm, I deeply believe that there is really no such thing as apolitical because anything that you label as apolitical, essentially you're backing the status quo. You're backing this idea that whatever ideological assumptions come into play, whatever historical things have led you to this moment, we're just going to accept those as given. Mm -hmm. Everything is politics. Yeah. Says the uh, MPhils in development <laughs> studies in politics. As this episode proves, you can make anything about politics. <laughs> We're taking a holiday break for the next few weeks, but we'll be back in January. Um, we've got a lot of great episodes coming up in 2017, so please tune in then. In the meantime, you can listen to our past episodes at facebook.com slash declarationspodcast. You can find us on Twitter at declarationspod, SoundCloud also at declarationspod. Um, Basically, Max has put us everywhere on the internet, so just search for Declarations Podcast and you'll find us. Yep, and you can also find us on iTunes if you just search Declarations, uh, the Human Rights Podcast. Please, if you can spare a moment, um, rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes of 2017 straight to your phone. Um, in the meantime, Merry Christmas, Matt and Scott. Merry Christmas. And to all, a good night. Tune in next time for more Declarations. So you know when Santa Claus arrives? Sleigh bells? No, not the... Is it sleigh bells that make the... Yeah, it is. Yeah, noise. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Sleigh I do, bells I do. ring. Are you listening? <laughs> this can go in our cuts. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should start the episode with that singing and then me saying this can go in our cuts and then us laughing and then going yeah, into the episode. That. that might be Actually, interesting. Can... Anyway, if it sounds we'll cute, if not... There, yeah. If not, don't do it. No to, no to Max. Put this at the start of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. No to self. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs>